Welcome to Navigating Change, the education podcast from Teibel Education Consulting. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here once again with Howard Teibel. Hello, Howard. Hey, Pete. How are you today? This show buoys everything else in in my life. How about that? (laughs) You know what? That's a perfect transition, as you often do. What are we doing today? I'm very excited about this. I I don't know if you heard here, but Plymouth State (laughs) University is making a dramatic shift. Really? Really, they are. They're moving from a traditional university model, uh, one that I have been teaching in myself for many long years, and they're moving to this integrated interdisciplinary cluster-based model, and they believe they're going to give students a new combination of education and engaged scholarship necessary to compete successfully in an increasingly complex and interdisciplinary world. Now, this cluster-based model, this is a new kind of language uh, for us in the business, and I am very curious what they are doing at Plymouth State University that is different, that is really going to affect change. To talk us through the change happening at the school, we're thrilled to welcome Plymouth State University President Donald Burks to the show. Don, welcome to Navigating Change. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. Now, I'm excited to be. I was teasing about being surprised because I've known <laughs> Don now. Probably, I you were probably there a year, Don, or maybe six months afterwards. And Don invited me to come up and to listen and learn and be part of a conversation that he was leading, you know, on the skinny branches. So now we're what, two and a half, three years into it, or you are, and you're still standing, Don. That's the thing I'm most excited about. Right. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder, but yeah, we're hanging in there. I can tell you that In my travels around the country, whenever I tell this story or I show your homepage or I talk about the idea of of turning the the model on its head, what is the value that we're producing? How do we put all of our energy and focus on producing value for the students? It's not just about having us teaching the right way, but a tackling structure. And I, I have yet to see an institution take something on in such a comprehensive way. So why don't you just give us a quick and dirty view of how you got to this place of coming from Penn to this with some background around the cluster model and what you inherited and a little bit about where we are today. Howard, you had to go back a little ways to, I was in the research world for a long time in education and also before that in industry and looked at these ideas of how students are learning, what they're coming out with what the needs of the external environment, not only just businesses, but grad schools, to really make successful uh, changes. There are all these issues happening in the environment, and we've got all these students, and we're saying 70% of them are going to require a two- or four-year degree for the jobs that are coming up, and even the jobs that are created now. And that's a large educational pool. It's, it's a larger percentage of students going to college than have traditionally gone to college. And you're saying, how can we engage them and train them in a way so they're enthused and excited and have the adventure of discovery while they're in school? And being so multitasking oriented, looking across disciplines, not real deep sometimes, but breadth and being able to pull knowledge from lots of different sources. Isn't the skill that's needed the ability to synthesize information and from that make large quantum sort of leaps? The idea is, what is it that we're missing in higher ed now that's kind of 
over the years, we've kind of uh, siphoned out. And when you look at it, there's really two things. One is we broke apart basic and applied research after World War II so that we just did this research without thinking about the applications oftentimes. That's changing gradually now, which I think is a really good thing. The second thing we did, we started siloing things. We were going deep uh, not only in the sciences, but also we took that on in the humanities. And so we ended up concentrating on a major without giving students the connected elements that they need to understand the relationship of their major and this other subject matter they're taking so they've got a holistic education. In other words, so they're able to go out and integrate and work with teams and really be innovative and entrepreneurial. And we seem to left some subjects out sometimes when I had a faculty member raised their hand and said, since when did the liberal arts leave out the sciences and mathematics? Mm. And, and that's a fair question because uh, the original liberal arts, the seven pillars had the sciences and mathematics in there integrated in and even something we call geometry then, but uh, really was the technology of the day uh, integrated into the subject matter that students were expected to learn. They could concentrate on a major, but they were expected to have an understanding of how these pieces fit together. And I think the approach we used where we siloed things and then threw in a gob of gen ed courses kind of moved away over the last maybe almost century, half century, uh, from that interconnectedness between the idea and the reality of implementing it, and also how things fit together in a way that students could really understand. And have students come up to me when I was at Penn State and they'd say, why am I having to take this subject? I don't see how there's any relationship to what I'm studying. And I have faculty come up to me and say, I hate teaching this. The students don't like it. They don't pay any attention, all these kind of things. And when you pull back and you look at it, you say, I think there might be a reason for why that's the case. So. After all that sort of history and looking around, uh, a few years ago, we started implementing this idea called clusters. And that is, how do things fit together and how do they resonate with the needs of the 21st century? And how can an institution like Plymouth State University uh, put together a program that builds on its surroundings and the strengths of the region in a way that's reflective and synergistic and connected so that students, when they come out, uh, have this sort of amplified understanding of their major, but also how their major fits in with the needs and projects and challenges of the 21st century. Because all the challenges of the 21st century are essentially interdisciplinary. And when I was in research, I learned the key fact that where disciplines come together is where all the discoveries are needed and desired and where we're able to make the greatest leaps. So if you've got students that are already coming in interested in this sort of multitasked, multifaceted framework, and we've got an educational system that matches that up, and then you've got this transition to a world that's complex and interdisciplinary, uh, that's a good match. You start getting an education that's really aligned well with what the needs are uh, for society and also matches up with students and how they're coming in. And this ability to get them involved in actual projects gives us the ability to take students who might not be really great in the classroom, but are really great in the learning process. Right. Make the learning process 
a, a laboratory, right? Literally and figuratively, right? This idea that this is a place to experiment. I mean, that's why we have internships, right? The model of internships that Northeastern has been a leader around for so many years and that many schools have picked up is it's, let's put them in an environment where they're learning how to learn the subject matter. I think lots of schools talk about doing this. As a matter of fact, every institution I go to, Don, they can point to where they have a an applied element to their learning. The fascinating thing for me is that we throw around the term interdisciplinary all the time. Everybody wants to be interdisciplinary, and I think it lives in a couple of domains. One domain is, what does it mean for the student? Another is, what does it mean for the faculty to be working together in an interdisciplinary way? So when you talk about multidisciplinary versus interdisciplinary, what do you mean by those two things? What I'm really talking about is an integrative education where you put the pieces together like building blocks in such a way that you understand the relationships between the subject matter that you're learning, the challenges of the 21st century, and the different sets of coursework that uh, you're undertaking so that when you come out, you've not only you've worked with teams, you've worked with other individuals from other areas, but you've worked in pulling together this, you know, interns you brought up is an interesting idea. But what if you could make it actually closer than that? What if you could actually make it so the internships were almost populated inside the university? That's, right. That's really the idea behind clusters. It's that integrated learning environment where the application and the study is linked together in an integrative way so that you really can see why you're doing what you're doing and the purpose behind what you're learning in all your subject matter areas. And you know what the other part about? It's thrilling. It's, that's the thing about it. We, we put together pieces and parts of this across academia. I think to really get an integrative education, you have to go to the point of changing the structure of the institution itself. I think it's impossible to just build it on top and that's what we've tried to do throughout the years. And I think the root of the issue is, are we willing as institutions to really go to the root of the situation and say, is there a structure that's better created to give this type of education? And from a structure standpoint, that, that to me is what I found so compelling, is that you really looked under every stone on the administrative and academic side to say, if we're going to do this well, we we cannot keep our existing support structure the way it is. And, you know, when I tell the story, I talk about the idea that what you're shifting from is the college model. We have, you know, three colleges, we have chairs that support those colleges and though and we have deans. And whether or not you keep some of those terms, you're basically stripping away the thing that is so familiar and treated as these things are sacred. When we take away what's sacred for folks, we create a you know, a high degree of ambiguity. Although I could tell from meeting with some of your faculty and administrators, there's a high degree of enthusiasm for this, but it also demands a certain kind of trust through the process. Tell us a little bit about the structural changes 
that have already been put in place in this, you know, being two and a half years into it? Well, we've started a lot of our courses now working across disciplines. So there may be two or three or even four courses that might work around what we call an open laboratory, which is a project that utilizes all those different disciplines, but does it in a very integrated way and does it with a real problem. So that while the students are learning, they're also getting the experience of application and they're getting it integrated with other students. So we've got what we call the four tools. And it starts out with a first year seminar that uh, works on a wicked problem. It works on something that's not really a clear solution to, but is, it brings a lot of different disciplines together in a way that you have to really think through how you might solve it or go about attempting to solve the problem. And you have to bring a group together to do that. Then we have the themed gen education courses. That's just starting to go into place where you link together gen ed courses around a theme or a topic area so the students would understand and get a skill set that's based on that. For instance, you might have be an arts major, but you might take a set of courses out of the cluster of innovation entrepreneurship so you know how to sell your art, market it, how you can create a business, because likelihood is if you're an artist, 50% of it's going to be that. If you want to be successful at that, you got to know those other skill sets. <laughs> 50 or, or 80. When does this start, uh, uh, Don? When does this start for the students and the student experience? They come in as freshmen and they're, they're starting this. this right. Uh, it flows all the way through. So you come in as a freshman. We had our first cluster class enter. We had done projects like this and tried various pilots for the last two years. They come in as a freshman, first-year seminar. They then go on, they take a major, whatever their major is that they want to take, but they get courses that are linked together in the general education courses so that they're, they've got a theme with them. And then uh, at the graduation, there's an integrated sort of capstone. Common to have capstones in majors in different areas, but to have a capstone that really is the bookend of the first year seminar, which in essence says, okay, you did that, you've learned a lot of things over the last four years, let's demonstrate that on a really big problem that you can actually work together as a team to bring the skill sets from your various majors and working across disciplines to, to come up with some kind of solution to this. So it's a process over four years. We've got our first class that's going to have that whole process for them uh, entered this last year. And so four years from now, they will graduate. You'll be able to look back three to five years from now and tell a story about where things really did click and where there was more opportunity than others, When where you were able to really paint the picture and students really emerged and there was real uh, focus in particular areas. But what are some of your measures of success at this point? This is your first full year of doing this. How are you measuring success around this and defining that for the people who have to execute on this? Well, one of the things we're doing in first-year seminars, there's an assessment process on entry, which will be followed with an assessment process uh, on uh, graduation within the, in the integrated capstone. But we're getting a lot of information just starting this year from parents, from students who have been in those seminars and those classes. So we've been looking at what their feedback is, it's, and, and it's overwhelmingly positive. I mean, it's really a strong factor, but it's also a strong factor uh, in retention because uh, students who are engaged and working on subject matters 
outside of the classroom as well as in. And that's another thing we're doing. We're changing the layout of all of our uh, residence halls for first year students so that they're based around the first year seminar so that students from a first year seminar will have a space that's with other students that are working on that challenge or problem. And then faculty can also engage with them and know where to go for that type of thing to occur. But we've got all the, the metrics. We know where we are today. I'm, I expect the effect to be on a lot of traditional, non-traditional metrics, we'll start hearing more from businesses because we'll be assessing those and graduate schools as those students go out. We'll uh, be looking at retention and recruit recruiting. We'll be looking at, at student feedback, you know, both uh, verbal, written, and uh, how they progress and how their abilities progress. We'll look at how uh, Students are interacting during their time here with uh, projects and individuals outside. What impact that's having on them and what impact yeah. it's having on the community. I mean, our mission, we changed from being a, a residential, uh, a regional comprehensive university to being a university that is about transformation of ourselves, our students, and the community and regions that we serve. Yeah. So it's a, it's a sort of a different focus. It's a learning-based focus for all of us rather oh, yeah. than just a teaching-based focus. When I listen and, and think about the people that – the students going through the experience or anticipating going through it, and then the people, the, the faculty, the administrators, the staff, there is a process if you've been in this industry long enough that you're having in some ways go back to being a beginner and have it be okay to be a learner yourself, as opposed to just going through the process every year. I can imagine some of your folks who have been at Plymouth for 10, 20, maybe 30 years, this process has been disruptive. And for some, probably disruptive in a positive way, and for others, disruptive in a in a challenging way. How, how has that been going? We're going really through uncharted territory. A right. lot of faculty and staff have asked me, can you show us where this is happening in other places? And you can show pieces and parts, but you can't show a transformation of an existing a university like not this. At, not at this scale. No, no, no. And, and the challenges are, and and as somebody who teaches those capstone classes, there is nothing. I don't want to be speak too grand about it, but but it, it is on the short list of things that are humiliating about the role of faculty when you get students who come into a capstone class and are dumbfounded at the the relationship between topics that they're studying in a capstone that they never saw the integration of problem solving, and and so this is you know for we. We may have capstone. We don't have the infrastructure to build to that. The fact that you're affecting res life, that you're affecting administration, that you're affecting, I, I can't, I mean, it's, I, I can't wrap my hand, head around it. Uh, it seems so grand. I, it's fantastic. There is no area that's untouched. And the question you got to ask, I, I've had this question, why don't you just attempt part of this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, the, and the thing is, it's a system transformation. And when you do a system transformation, Everything has to be a part of it because it's how those elements all fit together when they're built. In other words, when you change one area, it affects the other area. So if you just change an area and leave all the other things the same, you're never going to get the results that you're looking for. You've got to really uproot and reintegrate the whole of the institution, and it has to be done in a coordinated way together. And we all have to learn. You brought up that issue about learning through this process 
because we're all learners. I mean, one of the biggest breakthroughs for me, I stood up once in front of a meeting and somebody asked, well, how do you know this is going to work? And I said, I don't know all the answers. I don't have them. We're going to find them together. We're going to work through this together. I've got some ideas, some concepts. I've seen pieces and parts that have worked. I've studied this all around the world, but no one has undertaken something so large as this or so transformative of this to see and be able to tell the story about it. There's, There's ones that have gone through bankruptcy that have tried after the fact to try to build something like this. There are institutions like Twente in the Netherlands where they attempted to build something like this from scratch, like in the 50s and 60s, and very successfully, by the way. So there are pieces and parts out there, but uh, there's no one who's gone through this, so there's not a path uh, to follow. And, And we as faculty and staff... We like to do best practices. <laughs> Let's find out who's doing it the best way. Do it. It's tough when you're out on the leading edge, but it's also exciting. The other element here, too, is the, the fact that you're a state institution and being willing to do this in such a comprehensive way. My sense, Don, is people are watching to see what happens here, uh, to see if this is something worth exploring, you know, as opposed to being a leader around this. And I, I can appreciate why people would not take this on. You know, I was just in a session and I was leading for uh, a set of leaders and I was talking about how do you produce a change? Well, you have to be willing to uncover and share the brutal facts and have a vision. And if you only have a vision with no brutal facts, it's very hard to motivate people. If all you have are the brutal facts, you scare people into being incapacitated to move. And there's no question that a piece of this were brutal facts. Would you agree? Yes, I think so. I mean, you've got to be really open with everybody about what's going on and where the world's going and how things are changing. And we're talking about those. But what I love, though, is the story you're telling is less about uh, we're doing this because if we don't, some negative outcome will happen. This is the right thing to do for our students. Right. And, and, it's, and it's a worthy cause. I think that's it's a lot of work. It's a huge amount of work for faculty, staff, administration to do. Yes. But exactly. it's worthwhile. If, if you're going to do something, something like this, which is so needed, and we all know it's needed, but we just, it's hard to make these types of change. We've, we've blocked ourselves up into these sections and groups, and, and we haven't worked across together as a sort of a team in the transformation process. It's hard to do that because we're, we, we get more content in, in where we are and we feel competent in that. And to step outside of it is tough for all of us, administrators, faculty, and staff alike. But I think, I think where education is going, it's really needed. I mean, there's a reason why people are questioning the value of higher education at a time when it's more valuable than ever. Yeah. And the greatest asset the United States has uh, is the number of institutions of higher education that are scattered all over this country in one community after another. What if we could turn them into transformative elements for the regions in which they serve and the students which come out of that? And I think that's our task and that's what we're trying to do because even though it's high risk, and I mean it's hugely risky, it's high reward if we are successful and if we can at least tell a story, even if we're, 
if we have some problems with being successful, we will have a story to tell for others that, that follow along. And I think something like this is really needed because I don't think we can afford either the cost or the approach we're taking in higher education. From a value proposition to our students and parents and, and also an emerging adult student to make these kind of investments, they need to see that the experience they're going to have is not just going to contribute to a good job, but it's going to contribute to the idea of being a whole person. It's like coming going back to the, the roots of why these institutions were put together in the first place, going back, as like you wrote about in the, uh, the Renaissance and even earlier than that. But we have to make this relevant, partly because of the cost structure. So, you know, you made a comment a second ago about risk, you know, and, and high risk, high reward. What is the risk? I mean, even if we don't change the structure, we're at risk of failing. I'm not so much concerned about the risk of the final result because I really do believe in the final result. And I've seen the pieces of it work and the impact that it's had, particularly in the research world, but also in the educational world. And But the, the risk is the change process itself. It's getting through it. It's getting to the other side where people are working so hard. There's so much unknown, unsure of how this is going to work, how this is going to come out. There's so much experimentation. And I think the biggest risk is of not making it to the other side. And I think, uh, I think we can find a path. I feel comfortable with the, where we're going. I think it really is the right way. I think it's badly needed in higher education, but there aren't many pathways to get there. And there's rocks all along the way. Yeah. When you say iterative, that the other side, you know, you take 10 people, everybody else has, everybody will have a definition of what the other side means, right? There's the other side, which is, does do enrollments improve? Does do we have partnerships with our surrounding community? Uh, it seems to me that, and I've heard you say this, and I think you're demonstrating this as, as well as any institution I see today, is that you're taking on this idea of we're getting out of the problem-solving business. This is a navigation issue. We are, we, we are navigating new territory, and this is not going away. There, there is going to be some point at which we can look back and reflect and say, what successes are we having? But it's not like down. This is, this is slowing down or going away. The, the kind of process about how we're going to continue to improve this. I mean, you know, in many ways, if you do this well, you're going to continue to assess and continue to improve. And the kind of people you need around you are the kind of people that are interested and can be engaged with that way of, of being associated in a work environment, right? You clearly have the energy and enthusiasm to push. The people who have to execute on this have to be willing to lead through ambiguity and know that we're going to make decisions with incomplete information. This is what I'm finding more and more these days that it is a mantra, is that our capacity to make tough decisions without all the information we have is what's needed to be able to innovate. And that's a skill set that most of us have not learned in our lifetime to, to make decisions with a great deal of ambiguity around us. 
Well, that's why we created a whole cluster built around the ideas of innovation and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Because you're right. We've got to learn how to take these risks, make those decisions. If we really want to push forward, I think part of our challenge as a society is uh, the unwillingness to take the risk, to make mistakes, to try things that uh, will vault us forward. We seem to be stuck with arguments between ourselves, with others, uh, and, and we, we second-guess everything to the point where it's hard to make forward progress. I think we've got to build that into not only ourselves, but our students as we go forward. And so we got one cluster's exploration and discovery, and at the other end of our seven clusters are innovation and entrepreneurship. And the idea is to be able to take ideas, make them and put them into practice, and really work across disciplines to really push the envelope on, on ideas and concepts, to not get stuck uh, so we're kind of trying to demonstrate that in a way to our students as we're learning at the same time they're learning the whole process. I got a question for you about uh, uh, your your student population. You've got uh, was it twenty one hundred and change graduate students. How has the the cluster approach I- impacted your graduate programs, if at all? That's interesting because uh, one of the things we're moving to, first of all, uh, the impact on the graduate programs is that our graduate enrollment has gone up this year more than any other. So it's it's looking very positive. But the other side of it is um, graduate education. What should that be and what should that look like for us here at Plymouth? And what we look at it is to say there's no year that a student takes that provides a higher return than if they're in a four plus one program, that one year program. You look at the statistics on it for earnings, from that getting that additional year and compare it with uh, what a four-year degree uh, earns. And you also look at the advantage it gives you in the marketplace, uh, in jobs, and, and, and uh, sets you up. So we're looking at more building the uh, graduate program and the undergraduate together. So we used to have a separate graduate school and undergraduate school, and we combined them about a year ago. And we said, we really want to look at the process where we're creating graduate degrees that are unique with our strengths in in these seven cluster areas and that students should think about it from the time of entry that they are going to go and if at all possible go through and have a four plus one or three plus two program our goal is to get up to at least 10 percent of our students in the next four years that are taking four plus one programs because we really see the value of graduate students interacting with undergraduates on this project and learning space. Since we do a lot in teacher education as well, it's got a lot of value working with the high schools and things like that, but also uh, value for giving practice uh, and uh, assistance in ways that uh, enhance the undergraduate education, but also do that at the graduate level. So I eventually, I see us creating uh, graduate degrees in each cluster that would be called cluster graduate degrees. In, in terms of the traditional uh, model, ha- ha- is that still in place? Are you living in two worlds still in terms of departmental structure uh, as well as the cluster model structure? Or is that now going away and it's primarily the cluster model? We're in the midst of the transition from uh, – 
uh, colleges and departments to clusters. And what that means is we're running two operations almost in parallel. And uh, the department chairs are taking leadership roles in the clusters. We've actually got quite a few chairs and faculty members and staff uh, uh, that are on what we call the transition leadership team. We've got a lot of chairs that are engaged in this process of basically working out of a job to uh, build the clusters. And we've got the deans who are also basically working themselves out of a job to uh, develop the clusters. So we've got, but at the same time, we have to do day-to-day activities as we're integrating and developing courses that are cluster base as we're uh, developing the different four tool elements like the integrated capstone you've still got to keep the traditional program alive because you've got students in that pipeline that's true right that's right and so these are very taxing years right now because you're trying to do two things at once Right. But uh, this year is probably the peak of that. Next year, uh, we'll stop going down the other side where the uh, departments will start phasing out completely and we'll be left with the clusters and the deans. Actually, the time of the deans is to come to an end uh, by at least December of the next year. So The time of the deans is to come to an end <laughs> waiting for the giant asteroid. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what I, if, think about it, Pete. You know, just to be able to ha- speak that and to be willing to let people know that there's a shift coming. There's, there's not there's not a lot of that boldness out there. You know, this actually gets to a question Pete and I were talking about in advance about scale. You know, with the 6,200 student campus, and then you got campuses that are in the 30, 40, and 50,000 size campuses to look at this. Can this scale, Don, when you think about it? I think it can scale. I think the issue is you have to be willing to rethink and go back to almost what it was originally. What are colleges about? Are they just collections of seemingly sometimes related subject matter? Like think of arts and sciences. Uh, You've got math, you've got sciences, you've got humanities. Uh, How much do the department chairs and the faculty talk amongst each other? And how much do they work with each other to actually develop coursework and ideas and concepts so that when students come out of an arts and science college, they've really got this perspective that puts the pieces all together. So I think... You know, the thing that's great about uh, universities from a scaling standpoint is you might look at it not saying so much from the university-wide. You might look at it from the college standpoint within a large university and say, okay, how do we rethink what we're doing and how we're putting things together? And I, I think it gives you the possibility to maybe break the problem up into more manageable pieces as you're going through. But you still have to be willing to really reinvent the college and uh, departmental structure within that region that you're working on. I think that's the smallest unit you can really uh, break it down to and have a coherent resolve in the end. And I think 
putting those pieces together for a larger university is then possible. Don, thank you so much for joining us uh, on Navigating Change to, to teach us a little bit about what you are, are working on here. It's fantastic. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Glad to do it. And uh, it's been a great uh, discussion. Now, I, I uncovered a couple of uh, resources on your website. Uh, is there any particular place you would like to to shuttle people who are interested in learning more? Well, I think that if you go to the president's website, they, we try to put things out there about the whole set of activities we've been going through. There's a blog there, so you can look at blog posts. Uh, so they show some of the issues we were addressing as we've moved through the last two and a half years. There are two University Day speeches that kind of give an overview of what's going on. There's some papers that I've written, I think, that are listed there as well. Uh, I think there. I'm not sure how the access is, or how whether it's internal or not. The access to the cluster page. There, there is a well. I mean, there's the clusters approach, uh, and there's a wonderful timeline that you can download, which is uh, which you can look at more closely there. Yeah. Okay. Just, so you can get to that. good, good information great. there. And there's a picture of you with two students who are so happy and engaged they must be in a cluster of some sort i i can think of nothing else yeah we told them to smile a lot <laughs> i i want this story out there don i know that you're working on uh, a book that that has both a uh, an academic focus uh, a scholarly focus, as well as a telling a story about where this is going, and I and I think this is the seeds of something that I can tell you as I talk to education leaders. They they want to be able to embrace this. It they, it takes bold leadership. It takes the kind of perseverance that you have, in the energy that you have, and to, to get your to get the right people around you to to really continue this. So I I am deeply interested in staying connected to your process and 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 being part of in any way that I can uh, to help you to get to where you need to get to because I think this could become a foundation for what's going to ha- what's happening already in education where people are looking for alternatives to really serve students at another level. Well, I hope the book's going to come out by the end of the year. That's our hope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and we've had a great bunch of faculty and staff here to work with us. So I know that they've been giving seminars and gone out and talked to other faculty across the country as well about what we're doing here. And uh, I wish we had more answers at this point, but uh, hopefully we'll have at least charted one pathway. Absolutely. Well, that's great. Well, thank you again, and we're gonna—I'm gonna stay connected with you in this process along the way, and maybe we'll have you back periodically to to share some of the successes you're having along the way. Sounds like this time next year is going to be a great time to check in. Let's schedule it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Thank you, everybody, as always, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate your time and attention. On behalf of Plymouth State University President Don Burks and Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time right here on Navigating Change the education podcast from Tybal Education Consulting.